Hi, my name is Katie Hawks, and the Old Testament reading is found in Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. I turned my head and saw yet another wisp of smoke on its way to nothingness, a solitary person completely alone. No children, no family, no friends, yet working obsessively late into the night, compulsively greedy for more and more, never bothering to ask, why am I working like a dog, never having any fun? And who cares? More smoke, a bad business. It's better to have a partner than go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. And if one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, tough. Two in a bed warm each other. Alone you shiver all night. By yourself you're unprotected. With a friend you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Kristen, and I'm reading the New Testament reading in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Susanna. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Would you remain standing as we pray? Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see Jesus today. And God, we ask that you would open our ears, that we would hear Jesus today. And Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts, that we would love and serve and follow Jesus today. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're in this series here on the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've talked about how Ecclesiastes belongs in a category of books in the Bible called wisdom literature. And wisdom literature uh, is not a list of rules or even a list of principles. Uh, wisdom literature is the kind of writing that is designed to invite you to reflect and to wrestle. So it doesn't give you a whole bunch of principles or rules. It, it reads differently than the stories in the Old Testament. It reads differently than the letters from Paul. It's meant to have your wrestling and participation with it, to say, wait a minute, what do we do with the fact that they just said this and that? And the, the, the main sort of voice in Ecclesiastes is this person called the teacher, and the teacher says some rather strange things. We, every week we're hearing it, sometimes in different translations, so it can sound as shocking and stunning to our ears. And it makes us kind of say, wait, wait, what? What did, that just, what did, what did he just say? Is that in the Bible? And we've said over and over again, one of the, the, the themes that we're chasing through this book is this Ecclesiastes confronting our cheery, shallow optimism. Our sense of saying, no, life is always wonderful, it's so great. It's so... And Ecclesiastes says, no, it's not. Think about it. And then you start to think about it and you remember, oh yeah, we live in a cynical age. So Ecclesiastes also confronts our cynicism, or rather offers us a way to redeem our cynicism. Just at the place where we say, wait a minute, 
there's no point in this work and there's no point in this job and there's no point in this fun or what. Ecclesiastes says, well, well, wait a minute, chase it all the way to the end and what do you find? So we've called this series Finding Joy because the idea is when you chase it, life to its limits under the sun, you find joy from the God above. And it's, it's very important that the phrase that the teacher uses over and over again is under the sun. He's saying, look, these are the limits of life under the sun, but there's something beyond it. There's a God beyond it. And, and, and at some point in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and now in chapter 4, the teacher talks to us about the gifts that God gives. And here's the trick, you guys. It would be a mistake, a, a very popular, common Christian mistake to hear these messages and read the book of Ecclesiastes and say, oh, oh, yes, yes. So joy doesn't come from the things of, of earth. Joy comes from stuff out there. Therefore, I've got to go chase the stuff out up, up there. I've got to go just fly away to heaven. Oh, I've just got to have more praise and worship times. I just need to be in more prayer meetings. And what, what you've told yourself is there's nothing good here. Everything physical, earthly, this worldly, oh, that must be bad. And what I really need is heavenly experiences, and therefore I just need to have, have more prayer times and more. Yeah. And listen, that would be a mistake. It would be a mistake to say, oh, the only place, I've got to just escape this world to find joy. No, in fact, the, the, the way that the gospel transforms our reading of Ecclesiastes is it says, only when you found ultimate joy in the Lord can you then come back to the temporary gifts and enjoy them for what they are. If you try to make the temporary gifts ultimate, you ruin them. You kill it. You destroy it. But when you've got ultimate joy in the Lord, you can come back to the temporary gifts of this world and of this life and to say, you know what? They're not ultimate, but they're pretty good. Like, it's, that's, that's not the greatest happiness, but man, there's some happiness in having a good meal with some friends, right? So this is what, what, one of the gifts that we're going to talk about today is the gift of companionship. The gift of companionship, of having friends around us. Now, I want to say that I've used this word companionship in the hopes of, of being rather broad, of, of talking about all of it. I'm talking about from the, on the very sort of deep, intimate spectrum from having best friends or kindred spirits, as Anne of Green Gables might say, or, you know, or, or even the kind of intimate companionship that is a husband and wife relationship, all the, all the way on that end, all the way down to the other end, where it's just companionship. Like, nah, man, it's just like you're part of a team, a team that just sort of does stuff together and works together. You know, it's, it's like, it's like a, you know, the, the guy's fishing trip and you come back and, you know, your, your wife's like, what'd you guys talk about on the fishing trip? And you're like, nothing, <laughs> you know, but that companionship was everything, you know. And uh, anyway, so there, this, I'm using the word companionship to, to run the gamut here of all the kinds of ways that we feel um, a sense of belonging from a very intimate way to a very just sort of, man, we're just traveling along life together. We're companions. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, no person, no, no, no connection, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? 
Uh, as the message paraphrase said, all of this, wor- I'm working like a dog, you know. And there's no end to this. This also is vanity and unhappy business. If we were to flip it around and say, what is the teacher really saying? The reverse is also true, that, that when you don't have someone, the toil becomes burdensome. But when you do have people, companions increase joy. Companions increase the joy. Have you ever noticed that a good experience is made better when you can share it with someone? I mean, one of the things, you go and see these beautiful, uh, you know, mountains or sunsets or, or waterfalls or, or you travel and you're like, this is so great, but I got to share it with someone. And so God made Facebook. <laughs> Taking pictures of our food. That's what was the plan. Instagram. I got to share this. We know that sharing a joy actually multiplies it. It's not the normal math where when you share it, you lose it. Actually, joy is such that when you share it, you've increased it. And companions increase our joy. But then he goes on in verse 9, he says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. What he's saying is when you have more than one person working, when you're part of a team, you can actually do more. Companions multiply possibilities. Companions multiply possibilities. I think the message paraphrase was, you share in the work and you share in the wealth. You can, you can achieve more. Or like maybe some of the, the more popular slogans, you know, we are better together or stronger together. There's a lot of truth in that. That together you can go further, you can do more, you can accomplish more. You think about great teams. And this is why we like to watch sports. At least it's why I like to watch sports. It's because it's great to watch individual greatness, and you need some of that. But man, you need a great team around it. I saw a stat that said that five of the Chicago Bulls teams in the Jordan years, five of them rank among the ten greatest teams ever. I mean, we think of Jordan. Jordan was great, but Jordan was on some great teams. And, 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 and um, Phil Jackson used to quote that poem, you know, from Rudyard Kipling. He says, the strength of the pack is in the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is in the pack. That somehow it's a team that can make even the best players go further. You want to triple team Jordan? That's fine. There's Pippen. If you want to you know, double team Pippen, man, you, you got Steve Kerr just sitting back there, you know. Teams, you need good teams. Companions multiply possibilities. And then he goes on, he says in verse 10, For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they can keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Companions share sorrows. If it's true that joy when it's shared is multiplied, then sorrow when it's shared is divided, is carried. Companions are there to be able to help you to carry the weights together. And those of you that are in the military, you know this. You know the bond that happens when you sacrifice together, when you suffer together, when you're in the foxhole together. There's a bond. I've heard people say, my closest friends are the ones that we went through this experience with. Something about it. And I know the negative version of it, you've heard the saying, misery loves company. right? But the truth is, grief needs community. Grief needs community. It's companions who help us to share the sorrows, to carry the weight of it, to say, 
Help me with this burden. I can't make it through this alone. We're going through this together. We're in this together. And then he goes on in verse 12 and says kind of this famous image here. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two with will, will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Something about even three, the triad, the cord. I don't know if it's the, the way of the universe. I don't know. But there's something about this, this threefold thing of saying, look, when these friends together, it's not easily broken. And actually, when you think about it, there's a lot of stories and movies with famous sets of three, right? I mean, in my mind, I go right away to Star Wars. You know, I know Luke and Leia are brother and sister. Sorry if I ruined that for some of you, but they are. But I mean, it's the three of them together. They're going to take down the empire. And then, of course, there is Ron, Harry, and Hermione. Do you remember when they looked like that? It was just the best. Amazing. Others of you are like, enough with this pop culture stuff. Let's go back even further to the three musketeers. Yes. And then you say, forget the three musketeers. How about the three amigos? Aha. Now we're talking. These guys, there's nothing they couldn't do. Even El Guapo couldn't stop them. Whatever the El Guapo is in your life. For us, anyway. <laughs> he goes up. But before that, there's even Peter, James, and John, not pictured. <laughs> and maybe if we were to say go farther back, maybe it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a Trinitarian reality to this the union and communion. That happens even in three. And maybe that's our link to say, wait a minute, what is it that makes the human friendship work? I don't think the teacher in Ecclesiastes had in mind the Holy Spirit when he said a threefold cord is not easily broken. But I certainly think this is the link the Gospels make. Because Ecclesiastes says, Hey, two are better than one, because if one falls into the pit, the other can lift him up. But Jesus says in, in Luke's gospel, you're like the blind leading the blind, and you both fall into the pit. Jesus says, you know, there's a limit to even what friends can do. Not only can friends fail you, but friends can be wrong with you. Friends can be, and all of us probably have stories like, yeah, I ran with the wrong company, and there we were, all of us in the ditch together. And it's interesting when you think about it, you know, people have said that if there is a sense of religion in America, it's moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic meaning just a bunch of rules, therapeutic to make you feel better, and deism, God, but not interested and far away. And if you were to play with this image of the pit a little bit, the moralist finds you in the pit and says, I told you, you shouldn't have done it. Why'd you walk by the pit? You, that's it's your fault. Next time, don't walk by the pit. And then walks away. Uh, excuse me, still in the pit. The therapeutic sort of religion says, oh, you're in the pit. Let me, let me just get, get in there with you. Here we are together in the pit. And you're like, great, but now we're both stuck. <laughs> What's your plan for getting us out? 
I don't know, but I'm with you. Uh huh. And maybe the sort of ambiguous, God deistic kind of religion is like, you're in the pit and I am in heaven. <laughs> like, is there more <laughs> into this story? Nope. <laughs> okay. And the gospel says there is a God who did warn us about the pit. And upon finding us in it, decided to make himself nothing so that he could join us in it. But not only did he join us in it because he's fully human, but being fully God had the power to save and lifted us out of it. It's why I can't help that when I think of the proverb that says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that the only friend for whom, of whom that is true is Jesus. It's Jesus. That all of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament point toward and make us anticipate. It's Jesus who finds us in the pit, comes down to us in it, and raises us up out of it. It's Jesus who is the threefold strand. You say, well, Glenn, that's nice, but the truth is Jesus isn't here. He's not. He's, we just had Ascension Sunday, last Sunday. He's ascended. He's on the throne, which is great. But I kind of need help here. And if we're honest, a lot of our experience with church has just been about God on a throne and you down here and saying, eh, well, deal with it. But that's not what Jesus said. When Jesus was getting ready to leave his disciples, think about this. We think of these disciples as like, you know, uh, extraordinary. I, I, you know, and, and I, certainly they became that. But probably in the moment... When Jesus was telling them that he was leaving, probably in the moment they were freaked out because this was the best friend they'd ever known. This was the truest friend they'd ever known. Jesus who called them, who made them come alive for the first time. Jesus who led them on an adventure that they could have never dreamt up for themselves. Jesus who all of a sudden gave their lives meaning and purpose and freedom and holiness and all this stuff. And now Jesus, the best and truest friend they had ever known, was getting ready to leave. And they're a wreck. So you can't leave us, Jesus. You've been the only and truest friend we've had. And Jesus starts to talk to them about the Holy Spirit. John 14, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. And then he goes on. He says, but the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then in chapter 16, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Can I ask you a question? Do you really believe that it's better to have the Holy Spirit than to have Jesus in flesh and blood? I think it was probably hard for Peter and James and John to believe that that day. Like, Jesus, you're like here. Like, we can see you. 
thank you that there's like another helper, a companion, one who'll walk alongside. But I, I don't know about, we don't know about that. What we know is you in the flesh. And Jesus says, I want you to believe this with all your heart. It's actually better for you that I go. Because the Holy Spirit is not just going to be a friend that walks alongside, but actually the one that's going to dwell in you and empower you and change everything. Church, could you imagine if you really began to believe that? Paul did. And that's why Paul prayed at the end of his letter to the Corinthians. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And the word for fellowship there is this Greek word koinonia. Some of you will know this word. Like, oh, yeah, that's like fellowship. Right. But in a deep and profound way. It's the mutual sharing, having things in common. Now, wait a minute. Is Paul saying that we can share in the life of God via the Holy Spirit? Yes. In fact, you've heard of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that grace get spread and, and shed into your heart? It's through the Holy Spirit. You've heard of the love of God our Father? Yes. How does that love become real inside of us? It's through the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says all three of these things, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, but the koinonia, the sharing of life with the Holy Spirit, that makes all the difference. I wonder what would happen if we took everything that Ecclesiastes says about friendship and companionship and we started to see it as being ultimately true of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then increases our joys. Let's work with this. Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, here's Paul saying, look, if you've got any share in the life of the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy. And by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Paul knows it is the Holy Spirit that increases our joys, now here's the trick, not by helping us escape human relationships, but by helping to make those human relationships work. That's the key. Sometimes we think, oh, the Holy Spirit will increase my joys if I could just, just sort of get away. I don't want to deal with any people anymore. Paul says, you know how the Holy Spirit works? is he actually helps you to be of one mind, helps you to be of the same love. That the fruit of sharing and friendship and fellowship with the Spirit is not that you've escaped all your human relationships, but the fruit of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is that you actually now have the power to enjoy your human relationships. You get to enjoy it. You get to find life in it. The Spirit increases our joys, but the Spirit also multiplies the possibilities. Remember what the prophet Zechariah said? He said, it is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It is the Spirit that multiplies the possibilities. Many times, the life that we think God has called us to is really just 
another version of moralism. It's just be good, be nice, be sweet, have lemonade with your neighbors, bake cookies for the new, you know, like, oh, so I, I, I can do that. Yeah. But do you know, if your vision of the Christian life is entirely achievable by you without the Holy Spirit, it's not the vision of the Christian life. If your vision of the Christian life is something that you can do by just trying harder and being sweeter, that's not the vision of the Christian life. Because actually, the life that Jesus has called you into is impossible. It's impossible. What do you mean, love your enemies? I will not. What do you mean, forgive? What do you mean, ask for forgiveness? What do you mean, be patient and long-suffering? and tender? I can't do any of those things. Right. That's it. That's it. In fact, Paul, if you read Ephesians 4 and 5, Paul's on this whole train about how relationships work. And he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And he talks about husbands and wives. He's saying all of these things. And right in the middle of it, he says, hang on, hang on. You know what? Don't, don't be drunk with wine. I know how wine helps you have a better time with your friends, but there's something better than wine. It's the intoxication of the Holy Spirit. So he says, go on being filled with the Spirit. And that's how you can submit to one another. And that's, how, that's what multiplies the possibilities. It's the Spirit. I remember when I, when I was 10 my, and my sister was 13, my parents, our family moved from Malaysia to the States, and we lived in Portland, Oregon. My parents went to Bible school there, and my, my mom gave up um, uh, her career in teaching and in education, and my dad was kind of a, a big exec in an ad agency, uh, not too unlike Mad Men, I suppose, um, and traded that to go to Bible school. And um, the only job he could have was to work for the church because of visa, student visa stuff and all that. And so he, he worked as a minimum wage janitor, you know, doing all this stuff. And there were lots of things that were impossible for our family in those years that the Spirit of God made possible. It, it shouldn't work that actually the relationships in the family and children and parents, that they are strength. It shouldn't work that way. That kind of disruption should be devastating, but it wasn't. It's the Spirit who multiplies the possibilities. And I remember when we moved back to Malaysia after three years and I was starting out my high school years and all that, and someone said, Glenn, you know, these, you know, these transitions or whatever, what if every day when you woke up, you acknowledged the presence of the Holy Spirit with you? Something as simple as in the morning saying, welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome. Everything that I hope to accomplish today, in order for it to truly be significant, would be impossible for me. I can get the tasks done, but I couldn't make it count. Only you can do that. And so all of a sudden, every day you begin to say, well, welcome, Holy Spirit. Come and multiply the possibilities today. And then lastly, if we were to say of the Spirit what Ecclesiastes said about friends, we'd say that the Spirit shares our sorrows. In Acts 9, Luke tells the story of the church, the early Christians, in a very turbulent time. There's Saul who's, being, uh, who's persecuting the church, and then he sort of gets radically saved. And, and if you're watching the, the Bible AD TV show on Sunday nights, you know, there's some sort of artistic kind of portrayal of that. And, 
And you'll know this is kind of turbulent. They're not sure should we accept him? Is this for real? Is this not for real? And then there's a lot of sort of fractions, factions sort of developing. And it says, and the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit was with the church. The comfort of the Spirit. In fact, that word comfort has the same Greek root as the word Jesus said when he said, I'll send you another comforter, helper. Everything Jesus promised the early church found to be true. That's what they had. It was the Spirit that shared in their sorrows. It was the Spirit that helped them through difficult and confusing times. It was the Spirit that shared in the load. Do you know it's amazing how this is designed to work? Paul in Corinthians talks about our union with the Spirit and our service of one another. Those two Greek words, if you're, if you're you know, nerdy like that, um, the koinonia with the Spirit and the diakonia to the church, the service, diakonia, from which we get deacon and servant. Paul's saying, look, the more, the stronger your union and communion with the Spirit, the stronger your service to one another. This is not the kind of spirituality that allows you to take a hall pass on friendships and relationships. This is not the kind of spirituality that locks yourself up and says, I don't need any friends. This is the kind of spirituality that makes you a blessing to your friends. This is the kind of union with the Holy Spirit that actually becomes the third strand of a threefold cord that strengthens all of your human relationships. Could it be? Could it really be? You know what I think happens when your friendship and fellowship is with the Spirit And then you go outward into service. It it changes the way you start to view human relationships. You're no longer approaching people saying, give to me. (laughs) That doesn't mean we don't need things from one another. Of course we do. But it means that our primary posture towards one another is not one of taking, but one of giving. Blessed, broken, given. The Spirit fills us so that we can then say, oh, how can I serve? How can I give? How is it that Christians are able to serve when they are being greeted with hate? It's only by the Spirit. Well, I'm going to stand up and fight for my... If the Spirit is working, then all of your supply of life and joy comes here. And then into the church and into the world you go, with gifts to serve, gifts to bless. No longer saying, who can give me what I need? All of a sudden, your life becomes the gift of companionship to others. All of a sudden, people look at you and say, man, I'm, I just, I'm so thankful for Susie. I'm so glad for Joe. You know, Man, they just increase my joy. What a great thing to be said about you. Man, they just multiplied what I I thought I could only do this, but then they came and helped me. They multiplied the possibilities. Man, I'm so thankful for David. You know, he just shared my sorrow in this time of difficulty. You become the gift of companionship to others because of the friendship of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes it work. When I first arrived in college, I, I... left Malaysia, came back to the States, this time on my own, to go to school. And I I was 17, just about to turn 18. And 
And it was kind of a lonely thing. I had I'd come in the spring semester, so I'd missed like all the benefit of new students in the fall. And, and even then, I had missed like new student orientation. I'd just come in like a weekend too late, you know, didn't know. And um, didn't, hadn't made friends yet. Eventually, you know, a year after that or so, I would get involved with our chapel praise and worship team, and then I was with the cool kids, you know, musicians. I could masquerade as cool. But before then, it was, you know, Friday nights. I had no car, no TV, no computers. Nobody did, really, in the mid-'90s, computers. So Friday nights were fun, you know. <laughs> and I remember those first couple semesters at college, there, there's this music building, and there's these rooms of, with pianos in them. And I would go look for the piano room that was f- most out of the way, farthest in the back. I'd turn the light off. I'd just sit at the piano and play and just sing. Sometimes I didn't know what I was singing. Sometimes it would be singing with, as the Spirit gave utterance. Sometimes it would be songs that would come out of it. Sometimes I would cry and not know why. It was a way to sort of, it's the friendship of the Holy Spirit. And I, I can't talk to you about the gift of friendship and not talk to you about friendship with the Holy Spirit. Because some of you know the Lord, but you, you know him like this. And you know about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm telling you, there is a richness in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that is waiting for you. That is waiting for you. And it's not about being weird or freaky or whatever. It's about God being with you in the deepest and most profound way. And it makes all of your relationships better and fuller because of it. That's what it does. So what I want for you this morning, I know that every person who said yes to Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. I believe that. But not everyone is walking in the fellowship of the Spirit. Not everyone is saying, God, I want you, I want you to make, this, make yourself known to me. Show me the love and the grace. Cause it to abound in my life. I think this is what Paul means when he says, go on being filled with the Spirit. Let it abound in you. Let it take over. Amen?